Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. So I get to introduce our speaker today, Pastor Steve Pakoda. I um, had the privilege of serving with Steve for a year, and he has the deepest pastor heart that I've ever seen. That is the depth of his being, and it makes absolute sense that his um, doctorate is on unity. And so that's what he's going to speak to us today. He has a book, Getting Along. It's good. So it's a privilege to be able to um, invite Pastor Steve up to speak to us today. What a, what a treat to be here. What, uh, this is like a very special uh, Sunday to be here because it being a family Sunday. And so seeing the kids here and having the opportunity to bore you to death is, you know, just <laughs> such a privilege. I, I mean, I, I worked hard at trying to get some little stories and stuff into my sermon, so, so we'll see. But just having you guys here, um, having the families here, that, that means a lot. Um, seeing the Rutans up there as, as a family doing the announcements on video, that was pretty cool. And uh, so I've, I've got um, a lot of sense of connection to this church. I, I was pastor at Calvary Christian Assembly for 12 years, uh, but I, I grew up in the greater Seattle area, and so Calvary Temple back then was my home church as a kid. And so I knew about Shoreline, all, you know, since I was small. Benny Birkeland, uh, you know, I knew... I wouldn't say I knew him well, but I, I knew him fairly well, I, and I worked for his son, Ben Jr. Um, my very first kind of real job besides the paper route job was working for Ben at, uh, at Alfie's Fish and Chips. And so I was slinging fish and chips and french fries, uh, you know, with the Birklands. So anyway, the, the connection runs deep. But there's also just a, um, a really deep sense of respect that I have for, for this body. Um, Shoreline Community Church and Calvary Christian Assembly have been sister churches that have worked together to glorify the name of Jesus Christ in the greater Seattle area for, for decades and decades. And um, so the opportunity to, to be able to speak here today is, is really special. Some of you um, have been around as long as me or longer than me, and you recall the, the period of the Jesus Revolution. Recently, the, the film came out that talks about Greg Laurie and, and uh, Chuck Smith and the whole beginning of the Jesus Revolution down in Southern Cal. It was a delight to watch that, but um, we really experienced the Jesus Revolution here in, in uh, Seattle as well, the Jesus People Movement. Um, it's interesting that here in Seattle, the Jesus People Movement was connected really strongly with the Charismatic Renewal Movement. They, they happened simultaneously. Pastor Dennis Bennett uh, wrote a book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning. He was an Anglican priest or a, a Episcopal priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church. He had been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so he wrote about how this 
experience radically changed his life and it was encouraging others who were not part of the Pentecostal tradition. Hey, you've got to, you know, the, the ministry of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, that's something for all of us, not just for Pentecostals. And, and so what came out of that was uh, a charismatic renewal movement in the greater Seattle area. And, and your pastor, Ben Berkland, was a part of that. Um, my pastor, uh, Marcus Gaston at, at, at Calvary. And uh, so the pastors, Lutheran, Catholic, Anglican, or Episcopal, uh, Baptist even, I think, uh, you know, came together and they were meeting on a monthly basis. And they decided in uh, 1971 that they wanted to have a big charismatic renewal meeting. And so that took place at, at my home church, Calvary Temple, um, because it seated the most people back then. It was 12, 1,200 people could fit in the auditorium when they opened up the second balcony. You know, there were two balconies. And uh, so I had just graduated from high school, and um, it was June, and so, you know, I came to the first, first meetings, and, and I was just blown away because it wasn't just 1,200 people. It was like 13, 14, and 1,500 people packing in night after night. And uh, people were, you know, like freaks, Jesus freaks. They're, they've got holy jeans, bare feet, you know, love beads. And then there'd be nuns in habits, you know, sitting next to them. It was like, it was crazy. And, and all the pastors up front, um, you know, you had Pentecostal, and you had Catholic priests, and you had Episcopal and, and Lutheran, and they're, they're all there, and, and waiting on the Spirit for what the Spirit was going to say, and listening to the Word. And there was just this incredible feeling of what? Unity. Just incredible feeling of unity. And, and we would sing, it was, it was like an anthem of that time. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And you could, you could feel it. Right down in the core of your being. I don't know if that's the first time that I really recognized the words of our text this morning, that I was consciously aware of them, but I certainly, they became more real to me during that time. It's the unity passage of the Old Testament. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, 
For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Unity is an amazing thing. It's something we feel. It's not just something we know about or recognize intellectually. David describes it as good and pleasant. And then he gives us two metaphors. One of them is very foreign to us and and another is very familiar. The first one is is foreign to us. Uh, It's like the oil running down the beard, even Aaron's beard. And we're like, what's your reaction to that? Yuck. (laughs) Now, my reaction to that was yuck, too, until one time I was, Karen and I were getting, oh, my wife Karen is here and my mother-in-law Rita, and I'm so thankful, uh, yeah, to have both of them here, two lovely ladies in my life. And uh, so Karen and I were getting ready for... um, uh, to, to go out on a mission field to Germany. And there was a church in the Assembly of God. Missionaries travel around from church to church and then they present their ministries. And oftentimes they're involved in missions conventions, which you guys do here as well. It's a long tradition. And uh, so this particular church we were at really liked to do things kind of authentically. And so... Um, like according to how it really was in the Bible. So they said, all you missionaries, we want to anoint you. And we're like, yeah, okay. And we're going to really anoint you. So bring T-shirts that you don't worry about and jeans you don't care about. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> and so so they, they, uh, on, on the night of the anointing, we came and, and all of us kneeled, you know, came forward. And then they came and they brought the... They brought the oil, and then they just poured it over our heads, like a whole bottle. And it just ran down, and, and I was amazed. I was blown away. It felt so cool. I mean, it, I, actually, it didn't feel cool. It felt warm, because what happens is oil runs really slowly and as it drips down it warms up so by the time it hits your shoulders it's already at body temperature and it just keeps going and it's like it's soothing it's uh it's relaxing it's warming it's invigorating and it's like this is awesome And David had experienced that, you see. He'd been anointed as the king. He knew what that was like. And actually, if I I used to have a beard, and one of my favorite feelings was drinking water out of my hands and then letting the water run down my beard. I wish I would have had a beard when I was anointed. Because Aaron, you know, he had to... So you guys, when you're bored, you have your little Aaron, you know, trace the, the oil down through Aaron's beard thing. That was pretty cool. Um, So, yeah, just think about that, what that would be like to have a beard and oil running down. It's actually, what? Good and pleasant. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. The second metaphor is one that's familiar to almost all of us, and that's 
It's like the dew. Now, David says it's not like just any dew. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon. When you're up high in the mountains and the dew comes down, it comes down in abundance. And, and the, the meadows are just covered, covered with dew. He says it's as if the, the mountain dew of Mount Hermon came and was on Mount Zion, which is the place of God's dwelling. That's where the tabernacle was. That's where David built his his, his palace and where the temple was going to be built. That's where God's people worship the Lord. He says it's as if that Mount Hermon dew came and landed on, on Mount Zion and we were able to walk barefoot in the grass on the dew. Don't you love that feeling? I did it this morning. I, I you know, took off my, my shoes and walked on that grass, the dewy grass, Unity is something that we feel right down in the core of our being. So that's, that's point number one. Took me that long to get to point number one. Unity makes a good place even better. And it's something we feel deep in our core. Well, I'll jump right to point two. Since we already covered point one, point two is unity is something essential. The church can't do its mission without it. Unity is something absolutely essential. The church cannot do its mission without it. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his prayer was so deeply felt that, that he, he sweat drops of blood. And, and the, the, the Gospels tell us one of the things he was praying was, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. But John also lets us know that he was also praying about something very intently. He was praying for the unity of the church. And so he prayed, my prayer is not for them alone. He was praying for the disciples, but he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Well, who's that? That's us. We're the ones who believe in him through the message the disciples passed along. He prayed for us. Jesus was praying for us. He said, I pray that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is basically saying, Father, the world will not believe the message of the gospel if the church is not un unified. They will not believe that you sent me to the earth. They will not believe that I'm the only way to the Father. They will not believe that my death on the cross brings them new life. They won't believe that unless they see the church is one. I was reading through uh, Nikki Gumbel's The Bible in One Year and came across a passage the other day that was about unity. And 
Nikki always gives kind of an introduction and, and, and tells some things about the passage. And, and he says, years ago, I was speaking to a friend of mine who is not a Christian. He said this to me, I don't understand. You Protestants and you Catholics, you look exactly the same to me. You both have the same church buildings that look the same. You both say the Lord's Prayer and do stuff with bread and wine. Whatever it is you disagree about, and I have no idea what it is, has absolutely nothing to do with my life. However, whilst you are fighting each other, I'm not interested. Whilst you are fighting with each other, I am not interested. Then Nikki adds, it struck me then how damaging disunity is to the church and our witness to the world. Is it any wonder that Jesus prayed for the disciples so fervently, Father, let them be one as you and I are one, that the world may believe? Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul makes unity such a huge part of the letters he writes? So in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Make this your aim. Go for it. And Marcos Bart, I love, uh, he, he says, because this word make every effort is one Greek word. It's a very colorful word. And, and he says, it implies, yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it. Get with it. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to us. Make every effort. The problem is, is that the church does struggle with the unity business. We do struggle. Our fights these days are not about theology or church government as they were in the past. Throughout history, we've fought about some of those things. They're not about worship style or drums or whether young men can wear long hair as they were in my day. Today the church in America is caught up in the same culture wars that the rest of the culture seems to be involved in. Many believers have become so upset for example, about their Democratic fellow citizens or their Republican fellow citizens that they can hardly speak with each other. Timothy Darrumple, he's a, the uh, CEO of Christianity Today and, a, and a, a really significant Christian leader. He wrote a book called The Splintering of the Evangelical Soul. He says, new fractures are forming within the American evangelical movement. Fractures that do not run along the usual regional, denominational, ethnic, or political lines. Couples, families, friends, and congregations, once united in their commitment to Christ, are now dividing over seemingly irreconcilable views of the world. In fact, they're not merely dividing, but becoming incomprehensible to one another. Church, we do. We have a problem on our hands. Church members can be caught yelling at each other over whether masking is a wise demonstration of care for my neighbor or a misguided surrender to the overreach of the deep state. 
We fight over whether Infermectin or hydroxychloroquine are effective, or whether vaccines, instead of helping me, are going to kill me. We fight about whether elections are secure. We fight about whether our former president was a criminal or not. It's as, it's as if Satan came up with the perfect ploy. He said, those dumb Christians, they don't even seem to care about theology anymore. We used to keep them fighting about that. And they're not fighting over worship. I know I'll get them to fight about the culture wars. I'll convince them that the fate of America hangs in the balance uh, whether or not their political party prevails. And, and, and if, if their party doesn't prevail, then we're not going to have a democracy anymore. And, and I'll remind them that they don't dare trust someone from the other side. That they can't trust their motives because their motives have got to be bad. And I'll, I'll, I'll get them to think that I'll get them to think that wearing a mask is of the devil. <laughs> That'll keep them bickering for a long time. In the meantime, the world looks on in, uh, at our disunity and says, Christianity? Well, I don't think it um, don't think it meets the smell test. So that brings me to my third point. What can we do about it? What can we do? What does it look like to make every effort? And and I three phrases have become very real to me from the book of James, James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If, if we were to heed these words, would make a significant difference. There's an author named Julia Galef who wrote a book called The Scout Mentality in, in which she says that intellectual curiosity is the key to getting, along with, to getting along with others. That we are to be quick to listen. That implies be curious. Be curious. Don't you, don't you just absolutely hate it when you're talking with someone and you're starting to share something and then they, they just kind of look away and push on to the next person or get their word in? We are to be quick to listen. That means being curious about what the other person has to say and being curious about what's, what's on the inside, what's, what's, what's deeper within. Um... We tend to defend our own opinions. We act more like soldiers than scouts. Julia says we need to be a scout. A scout is never 
uh, put off by new information. In fact, if the new information is true and reliable, even though it's difficult, even though it might be a hard word, we, we accept it because, it's, because it improves our map of the territory. So if I'm a scout and I think that we're going to go over uh, the, the range, the next mountain range, and I'm preparing everybody for it, but I go up there and I scout it out and I discover, oh my goodness, there's another mountain range behind this range. That's bad news, right, for the party? Because it's like, oh man, we have two ranges to cross, not just one. It's bad news, but it's good news because if I had taken them over and got them stuck in the middle between the two ranges in the middle of winter, I could have killed them all. So it's like, no, that's good. We need that information. I need to be a scout. But so many of us act like we just defend our own territory. We're more like we get a soldier mentality of defense and holding on, holding on to what we know. Well, sometimes what we know is not what we actually know. It's just what we think. So if we were more curious and listened to one another more, and even listened to those who have a different opinion than we do, then we would learn, and it would move us toward unity. Wow, what does that sound mean? Is that the one that says I'm done? I'm, I'm trying to read this up here. So does 22 mean I've spoken 22 minutes? Is that what that means? Oh, wow, cool. <laughs> We're to be quick to listen. We're also to be slow to speak. Don't respond with the first thought that comes into your head. The first thought might be wrong. Social scientists have taught us that our first reaction to a situation is often a wrong one. We have, Daniel Kahneman says, a slow brain and a fast brain. He talks about system one and system two. System one is how our brains just respond quickly to um, automatically give us the answer. So it's like two plus two equals four. You don't even have to think about it. That's your fast, your fast brain. Um, that's system one. It just works. It functions. And, and system one is going on all the time. System one is telling my body exactly how to go down those steps without thinking, without having to maneuver it. It's just like, okay, I know, you know, system one tells me, yeah, that's about the distance. If I had to think about it, it would slow my whole life down. But the problem is, is that system one can also mess us up. So if I say, hey, uh, what's, what's, the biggest, what's the biggest city in the United States, New York or Los Angeles? Well, you might have to think for a second and then you say, well, it's New York. But then if you slow it down even more a little bit and go into system two, those of you who are analytical realize actually it's not New York because New York is the state, but New York City is the biggest city in the United States of eight million. <laughs> and um, 
what needs to happen is that we often need to slow ourselves down. And God knew that. He knew how important it was for us to initiate system two, to slow down my response, and to not only be quick to listen, but also slow to speak. And slow to become angry. That's point th the third point. Slow to become angry. Resist the impulse to rage. When I feel threatened, when my ideas are threatened, or my physical body is threatened, or my dignity is threatened, my natural response is to put up defenses. I become angry. James doesn't say there's nothing to become angry about. He doesn't say never be angry. He says, be slow to anger. Slow that response down. We live in a rage culture. We do. It's all around us, and it's incited by the media and by the internet and by friends, and a lot of things are going to try to incite our rage. Our media lets know perfectly well that rage keeps us watching. Rage creates more clicks. Rage fosters distrust. And rage makes us more manipulable. And if we're manipulable, then they can sell us stuff. And when we're manipulable, you know what happens? We're not listening to the Holy Spirit. When we're raging over things. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to become angry. If we move in that, in that mandate, in that scriptural mandate, it's going to change the way we react to each other. And it's going to make us a place of real, genuine unity. You know what happens when there's genuine unity? We know that we're loved. We know that we're accepted. We know that we're forgiven. We know that we belong. Some of our worst hurts, some of our deepest hurts have come out of a lack of unity. I mean, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, 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 my church friends were the most important people to me in my life. I had good friends at school, but it was the church kids. They were the ones that I really related to. And then I got into eighth grade, and you know how junior high can, be just, can just be awful sometimes. And one of my friends, he decided that I was an outsider. And he had enough social capital that he pulled the whole group in. And so my church youth group went overnight from being the place I loved the most to the place I feared the most. Overnight. I, you know, I, I, I remember going one day in and, and my parents are dropping me off for youth group. I'm in the car and I'm crying. I'm an eighth grader. I'm crying in the back seat because I don't want to go into youth group. But I can't tell them. I, I don't know how to 
even tell him about it. The whole thing culminated. We're going on a youth retreat down to, um, down to Twin Harbors State Park. And, uh, and twin, how many of you have been to Twin Harbors State Park down on, on the Pacific Coast? Beautiful, beautiful area. Sand dunes everywhere. We'd build a fire in the sand dunes. And, and, uh, that, and then all of a sudden it was like, it was weird. Like the boys kind of started like gathering around me and they got around me in a circle and then they started singing. Back then there was a there was an ad for campfire girls that was really popular. Some of you remember it. It used to go sing around the campfire, join the campfire girls. So all of a sudden the boys are kind of dancing around me and they're singing sing around Pakoda, join the Pakoda girls. We sing around Pakoda to watch him pick his nose. So sing around Pakoda. Join the Pakoda girls. Any of you read Lord of the Flies? Piggy? It wasn't quite on par with Piggy, but it felt pretty close. You know, the funny thing is now, when I talk to my adult friends who were part of that that day, they don't even remember it. Didn't even leave a mark on them. But boy, I sure remember. You know, isn't that crazy? See, the thing is, is that we can be awful to each other and hardly even know it. The church has got to be the place where we know that we know that we know that these guys have our backs. And even if they disagree with us, even if they're like in a completely different place politically or a completely different place regarding the, you know, how to respond to COVID and masking and all the protocols, that that they're going to fight for me because I'm a brother. that we love, accept, forgive, and belong to each other. But you get it? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Lord, help us to live it out. Help us to live it out. That the world may believe that the Father sent the Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to give you a little chance to process this. So I, I've, I've got some questions on, uh, that are going to come up on, on the board. The first one is, what would you like better, walking barefoot in the, in the dew or having oil poured over your head? That's a great question, you know. So, so we'll start with that one. What we want you to do, everyone, we'll just take just a few minutes to kind of process this together because what, what we need to do, see, in being quick to listen and slow to speak is, is we want to process things. And let's, let's talk about what unity looks like together, okay?
Do you know when it comes to growing in unity, it doesn't happen just because we want it. We really do need to guard the unity of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who, who does do that work of change and transformation in our hearts that makes unity possible. There's a, a couple of couples who will be up here for prayer. And there's also the opportunity, you know, we're just going to make this a, an atmosphere of prayer and, and uh, you can take some time and, and receive communion. You might even want to, you know, some of the families, if you'd like, you know, take this opportunity to come with your children forward and come and take some communion just before you go and, and say, Lord, help us, help us to be unified. Help us to be unified as a family. Lord knows that sometimes our family relationships are some of the most difficult ones we face. And um, we need God's help. Um, let me, I don't know if I can say this rightfully, but I am really proud of you. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful wherever I see God working by His Spirit in, in our this, I say our city. I know you're in Shoreline, but you still feel like our city to me. Um, but in, in the greater Seattle area. And so keep it up. You're, you're doing a great job. And I'm, I'm really, really thankful. And I don't know why I get so touched. Kim knows about it. I used to cry all the time <laughs> when I'd preach. But uh, before you go, I'd like to just speak blessing over you. And you know it. Why don't you stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace.